This is a No Dama podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and this morning I'm ra- joined by Rafael Legums, software engineer based in Poland, working primarily on mixed reality. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day, Rafa. Thank you, Brian. Nice to be here. Right at the start, I will ask you, please, can you pronounce your name for everyone? So I, I, I know I butchered it. Okay, so it's not an easy name, even for Polish people, but it's pronounced Rafał Legiunge. Thank you. Correct. No problem. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Well, as you, as you stated, I'm a software developer based in Poland. I'm a consultant working mainly um, in mixed reality area, I would say, uh, for the last two years, basically since the Holland's one was released, something like that. Uh, that became my main area of something I would like to be an expert in or something like that. So, yeah, so this is mostly what I what I do uh, professionally. You mentioned the term, or I introduced you as mixed reality. What is mixed reality first? Oh, wow, so mixed, mixed reality is, well, it's a, kind of a big bag of some other terms that are w- contained within it. So... Basically, all the realities that we have, um, meaning virtual reality, augmented reality, they are all classified within something which is called um, virtuality continuum. And this virtuality continuum is something that spans from physical reality to complete virtual reality. And all those experiences, like augmented realities, uh, Virtual realities, uh, augmented virtualities, etc. They're all kind of mixed experiences you could get depending on what kind of hardware and software you're using. They are all placed somewhere within that spectrum. Augmented reality is living very near the physical reality because, well, it doesn't cut off the the user from the from the actual physical environment because the user still thinks that he or she is still part of the physical environment where virtual reality lives on the other end of the spectrum near the full virtual reality because the user is being transformed uh, while using virtual reality to completely new digital world which is fully generated by the computer. And mixed reality is basically the name for the spectrum. So this is not one kind of experience or device it's a whole group of experiences and, and devices. VR is something I've been hearing about for maybe 30 years or something. What is VR? So, yeah, that's true. Actually, VR and AR aren't though that new concepts. You can, as you stated, 30 years or even more, there are some kind of devices of AR or, or VR out there on the market or in the research. So VR is... Um, VR is basically kind of an experience where uh, you put a headset on and your your brain is being tricked into thinking that you're not in your real environment, that everything you see is computer-generated, it's synthetic. And if you haven't tried it yet, you might see what kind of immersion they bring, those devices, uh, by googling the videos, all those funny videos of people playing on Vive or uh, Oculus uh, Rift, where someone is playing some game and the other person touches that that, that other person playing 
in a sudden way. And then the people having a headset on usually freaks out because the brain is kind of not expecting any other um, interaction from the real world, but only the, 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 the digital world that the, the current user is currently in. So this explains what kind of immersion the VR headsets or VR devices bring. And we do have many sources of VR on the market since many, many years, but not uh, since not that long time ago, our computing power, uh, our GPUs are, uh, became more capable of bringing or, or bringing better graphics for our VR headsets that we're having. So since not that long ago, we have HTC Vive or Oculus Rift, which can bring really good graphics and really good experience and immersion to the users and players. And with that, VR uh, and with those devices and GPUs getting um, cheaper and cheaper, they started to be more affordable for regular consumers. So the entertainment entertainment market kicked in and they started creating all sorts of games and videos and other interactables for everyday consumer. Uh, and that's why VR kind of got hyped and hit the mainstream. On the other hand, it's still relatively expensive, but that is changing really quickly actually right now with all sorts of different devices that are popping out here and there because HTC Vive and Oculus Rift are not the only ones there. We have all sorts of like standalone VR headsets right now or any kind of um, goggles that you put your mobile phone in and you can experience some videos or games. So, well, depending on what kind of experience you would like to have, there is a device probably for it. Do the big games companies, um, EA and whoever else, are they targeting VR games these days? I think it's not happening right now. The big companies that are focused on their own titles, they, they do what they, they used to do. And VR titles, I think they usually pop out, pop up, pops out from other companies that specialize in delivering VR content. Because this is, this is actually all different kind of um, experience you you, you have you to have to develop VR game. So my observation is that there are other companies that specialize in creating VR content, but probably that will change anyway because that's where well the money is basically. If if those big companies will feel that this field has some money, then probably they will start doing it. Well, I get the impression as well as long with, oh, me, along with having to have the the headset, you also have to have a souped-up PC or the newest yeah. version of the PlayStation 4. Um, yeah. So there's a significant cost on each consumer. Exactly, exactly. That's that's still relatively expensive, but not not as expensive as, as it was, obviously. And there, as with everything in electronics, the stuff is getting cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. What, um, let's talk a little bit about AR then. So what's the difference between VR and AR or what is AR? Okay, so in general, what we use, how we usually describe AR is kind of an experience where digital content is being superimposed onto a view of the real environment, right? 
and that's that's I mean that's the shortest version of of, of this uh, definition I would say. But then we can um, start digging into it and um, and expand it, so to say. Meaning that okay, augmenting mean, mean means adding, right? I mean. Augmented reality means we're adding something to our reality. We're superimposing some images or some 3D content over our view of the real environment. But what if we have an experience where we would like to remove something from our real environment or make it blur so that something doesn't come into our sense, um, doesn't reach our senses. And in that, in that case, we might find sometimes that some people um, relate, name augmented reality differently, like mediated reality, meaning that we are mediating our reality. We are removing something, something from our reality or we are adding something to our reality. So there are several different definitions. And to add more on top of it, we can have more AR experiences or different kind of AR experiences. Meaning, as I stated before, augmented reality, whenever we hear this, we usually think we're augmenting our vision. But reality is not only vision, right? We are sensing our reality with all our senses, vision, smell, taste, hearing, etc., and touch, right? So augmenting or mediated reality, it might also refer to any kind of experience which augment our world, physical world, not only in a vision, in, a, in terms of the, our vision. And we have all sorts of examples here, so I can bring up several of them. I mean, the most, um, the most common one, and I think many people know them, but no one would think about them as augmented reality, are all those noise-canceling phones, headphones, basically, right? Because nowadays we can buy one of those fancy Boss or Sony headphones and just click one button, and all of a sudden we have some, some, some sounds or voices cut off from our surroundings, which is kind of amazing. And what we're doing, we're basically mediating our reality because we, we allow some sounds to come to our uh, ears, but some cannot, right? And Apple, Apple made even a step further with that, and they created their, uh, their wireless headphones called EarPods or something like that. I don't remember the name correctly, but like AirPods, those are perhaps? Perhaps. AirPods? I think so. Stuff like that. But they're wireless and they also are noise canceling and host and has all those fancy features, but they're small. So you basically plug them into your ears and you can forget about them and basically walk with them and you know live your life. And you know, you can answer your phones, phone calls with them, you can listen to your music, you can cancel some noises from the environment. This is basically augmenting our body, isn't it? Uh, and not in an obstru obtrusive way, because they're not bulky like those Sony um, headphones, but just small and you can plug into your ears. So that's, that's one of the examples of also AR, right? 
And also, well, we have other examples like uh, car reversing cameras, right? We are augmenting our vision with the camera that we have in the back of our car. And this camera brings the vision of whatever is at the back of our car and then draws some lines so that we can drive back uh, with our car more efficiently or without without causing any damage right to other cars and also well I, the nice example I, I the, the other nice example I know is for example um, augmenting um, touch meaning that so you can imagine vision impaired person right um, that could have some kind of a headset on her or his head with depth sensing cameras so that the device can sense where the obstacles on the while the person is walking, right? So we can sense where are the obstacles on which height of um, is the obstacle uh, on the way where where the person is going walking, and then we could have uh, smaller devices um, that are being laid down on the person's body on different heights, like knee height or ankle height or waist height or chest height, for example. And then we can um, send impulses to those devices that are on the person's body. Depending on which height is the obstacle in front of the person, we can send an impulse to this device on the body to generate vibrations so that this person knows where is the obstacle to be expected, at what height is the obstacle to be expected while the person is walking. So, so yeah, we can we can basically augment any any sense right now, but most of them are not probably in the main stream, so to say. I mean some of them, yeah, like those headphones or some glasses. Although there are lots of examples of applications of augmented reality in terms of all other senses, not many of them are in the mainstream already, right? Because there is still lots of work in it, in it, like technology um, side of it to overcome, to make them usable by, you know, everyday users, right? But well, but then the future is there. I mean, lots of companies are focusing on this area so that they can make us superhumans so that we are augmented with technology and we basically can be better people doing our everyday things or chores. But it sounds like I, I was saying, you know, I've been hearing about VR for 30 years, but I know it goes way further back than that VR and AR. So what's kind of a quick history of, of uh, mixed reality? Oh, wow, yeah. So let's, let's do quick history of mixed reality. I'm not going to, to talk about history of VR because I'm not that familiar with uh, sure. VR uh, history, but when it comes to history of augmented reality, that would, um, we, 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 sh- we would have to go back in like 150 years, basically. Yeah, 150. 50, yeah, 150, because okay. it's like 19th century, 1862. Uh, the very first application of, of what we know right now is augmented reality was Pepper's Ghost. This was 
kind of an easy trick and used mainly in theaters or operas where we could have uh, we could have actors on the stage and then the actor below the stage and in front of the well between the stage and the audience there was a huge piece of glass uh, standing which was um, which was standing at the some certain angle and there was this system of putting a light on the person standing below the, the deck the stage and when the light was hitting that person this person um, then it was reflecting through that piece of glass and the ghost of that person from below the stage was appearing at the stage so that we had real actors on the stage and ghosts of actors that are below the stage on the stage. And that was, well, basically the first holograms that were on the stage in 1862. That's a long time ago. It is. It is, isn't it? It is. Well, and then, obviously, uh, U.S. Army was doing lots of research during Second World, World War, um, and then during Cold War with uh, augmented reality, uh, mainly for jet fighter pilots or bomber pilots so that uh, they could more efficiently drop bombs or shoot uh, enemy fighters or something like that. Uh, so for example, uh, the Havilland Mosquito um, in 1942, they, 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 that's the bomber, the Havilland Mosquito. Uh, what they ex experimented with was um, they were superimposing radar pictures uh, to pilots um, to pilots' vision so that the pilots basically had more uh, information in front of their eyes instead of looking around the cockpit. You know. Then, for example, 1950. Uh, one thing that that we know up until nowadays was um, uh, developed, which is teleprompter. This is basically what every like politician is is um, using whenever doing like a public speech, right? Uh, that was 1950. Then 1963, Bell, the company that made make helicopters, right? They also started doing stuff with augmented reality. They basically had infrared cameras. Uh, at the bottom of their helicopters and they were superimposing those pictures to helmets that um, pilots were uh, wearing, right? So that, for example, they can land uh, during night without, you know, causing damage or stuff like that. Then um, Tom Furness, the guy who is known as being father of AR and VR, he started working for US Air Force in 1967. And his task, he was tasked with developing first helmet for jet fighter pilots, which, which was fully like packed with all those augmented reality features so that they, they could mitigate the problem of jet fighter cockpits uh, as they don't have much space where, you know, all those switches and monitors could be fit. So they thought that maybe we could move some screens from the cockpit to pilot's vision somehow into their headsets or helmets that they are wearing, right? So this is 
1967, that's where all the work has started on those um, helmets. And, uh, well, 68, um, a year later, uh, Ivan Sutherland, for example, he developed first uh, AR headset, uh, which basically was a headset that he was putting on uh, on his head with a see-through glasses. And he was able to render, display a 3D cube, wireframe cube, in front of his eyes that was, you know, you could sense the, um, the depth and that this was actually something that is 3D and is in front of you in your environment. So as you see, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it has right? been, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. What and, would be the more uh, modern, let's say, the what what what's turned it into a consumer uh, grade type of uh, okay, piece of technology? So, so yeah, so that we had to wait up until like 1980 or 1990, where, for example, the something which we as consumers started to see as being AR application was basically doing all sorts of uh, sport games transmissions when we see those yellow lines being drawn on the on the field right this is basically AR that that happened for the very first time in 1998 and then uh, first toolkit for developers was released uh, called AR toolkit in 1999 and this was the very first toolkit that made it easier for developers to create augmented reality experiences. So all you needed was this toolkit, a computer and a camera, and we could start programming stuff. Being, you know, regular developer, you didn't have to have, you know, PhD in image processing or anything like that. So, uh, so yeah, that, so more or less years 2000, that's all when it all really started to happen. Uh, in 2004, the very first mobile AR was developed, you know, first phones, that was pre-smartphone era, but first phones like Nokia's, which were pretty um, common back then, uh, the very first AR experience on this kind of phone camera was developed. And well, after that, we would have to move to like 2009 or 2010, um, because that's where, where was this, like next wave of things that happened uh, next. Uh, in 2009, Vuforia was um, released. Vuforia is um, another toolkit for creating AR experiences, which is pretty popular right now. We're using, the, it, we're using it in um, some of our applications. And 2010 was a year, well, that, that was a year when um, Kinect was um, released. By Microsoft, the Kinect, the accessory for Xbox, probably like most of our uh, audience um, here uh, knows that uh, that device. But that's also a year when Microsoft started working on Hololens. That was 2010, right? So that's well, that's nearly 10 years ago, basically. And that project was called Baraboo back then. And 2011, that's when another. Um, headset or the company that uh, is creating headsets uh, got their funding. This is a startup called Magic Clip. 
And in the same year, Epson made their move with creating a prototype of their glasses. And then Google Glass were announced as well by Google. That's probably the pair of headsets that everyone heard about. Like someone might not have heard about HoloLens, but everyone heard about Google Glasses because the hype was like super big back, th back then. Like they were meant to change the world, right? But they were utter fail basically after not that long time uh, for some reasons. And that's basically the, 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 the quick history, right? Uh, after Google Glasses, the, the industry basically, they, they started focusing on, yeah, on developing headsets like devices or uh, putting more computing power into mobile devices so that those mobile devices were uh, enabled with AR capabilities. What would you say is the state of the art right now? Oh, wow. The state of the art right now? Well, I might be biased, but the state of the art is, of course, HoloLens 2, which okay. was released not that long time ago, like three weeks maybe or four. Um, well, released, it was announced. And also released because you could make a pre-order right now. But yeah, I mean, the state of the art, but, well, it depends. It depends what you need to be honest, because, well, I can't say the state of the art of AR is a headset, because the headset isn't uh, good in every case, right? Sometimes you could use, you could make use of AR by just, you know, taking your phone from your pocket and just quickly look for the screen instead of having this kind of bulky headset and, and having it on your head, right? They're not that... Uh, small and comfortable to wear yet to be like state of the art but from the developer's perspective and from the capabilities perspective the most powerful and and um, like enterprise ready device the one that you could really deliver you know the AR promise is in my opinion is Holland's too right now at Microsoft who is a big competitor? Is um, is Oculus uh, considered uh, up there with the Hololens and Hololens too? Well, yeah, I kind of Microsoft was um, well. Obviously, Google was first to the to the, to the whole game with Google Glasses a long time ago, but then was like nothing. Then the Google Glasses kind of died, and there was nothing, 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 and then Microsoft. Uh, appeared with HoloLenses, which quickly became like state of the art, as you, as you said, and there were there was no competitor basically, right? So for for some time there there was nothing in the market that could compete with with HoloLenses. Right after that, uh, Magic Leap was finally released, and what they delivered that was in October 2018. Uh, they were doing this project for like seven years. They were announcing it and announcing it and, and they were trying to you know make the hype you know going on. And well well they delivered. They delivered something which is um, slightly better than Holland's first version. It has its flaws, it's worse in some cases, but I think there are more advantages than disadvantages of this device. Uh, I don't know if you if you wanna go here into the details, but you could easily find like on the internet lots of like comparisons in uh, what's Holland's or what's Magic Leap. 
But given all the devices are out there, I don't think I've ever come across any of them, let's say, in a, um, a work setting, in a conference, at an event. So what are they being used for? Who's using them? So this is, uh, this is not a secret. Um, every manufacturer, I think, I mean, I'm talking about smart glasses right now. I'm not talking about mobile, AR of any sort. Um, I'm talking about smart glasses right now. Uh, because, well, with mobile AR, you can see everyone possibly using it, everyone that has iPhone, basically. But with smart glasses, it's no secret that they are targeted right now to enterprises. Like, they're by no means targeted to, like, everyday consumer or kids or anything like that. It's not entertainment. It's not... Um, game games or anything like that so that's why we're that's why most people basically can't see those devices because you can't just enter any microsoft store in uh, your you know shopping mall and well there are headsets here and there you can buy because well you can't buy them on the internet but they have their specific usages and also they're expensive because hololens first was like five thousand dollars for an enterprise edition and three thousand dollars for a dev kit holes 2 is slightly cheaper because it's um, this full version costs three hundred five three thousand five hundred dollars so they're getting cheaper as everything right but it's still not a consumer price is it it's it's still too expensive right and also magically it's two thousand three hundred um dollars so it's also not that cheap device so that every kid can have, right? So given that, only enterprises are interested in it, and you could fairly easily find applications of those kind of devices there. Well, you can imagine every uh, factory, uh, every assembly line, or a training room where you, you have to um, have some kind of instructions, work instructions, right? You can replace them with having a headset, right? And having those instructions displayed right in front of your eyes, having your hands free. Well, it's it's very easy to imagine, in my opinion. Every field worker that you send there to do some job, right, to fix something, that worker can have smart glasses and just every supporting information can be displayed in front of his, um, his eyes. So... I think the medical yeah. industry is making use of it oh, too, absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Surgeons yeah. practicing procedures. Well, I've seen during the last three, two years is basically every industry is interested. Like, I was talking with many people many, from many industries, like health industry, automotive industry, manufacturing, uh, service, uh, like whatever, you name it, finances, like everything. You can even make, people are asking, I, 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 I talked with like executive level people asking if, if we could create some kind of, you know, dashboards with those glasses so that you could see numbers visualized with, with those glasses, you know, in your room instead of looking at the spreadsheet. And those kind of projects actually are being developed. So that you can collaborat collaboratively 
look at visualized data with your colleagues. So we could have, for example, three pairs of headsets. We wear them on and we look at, you know, those nice, nice visualized data in our room instead of, you know, picking over the shoulder and looking at the uh, at the spreadsheet or looking at it on the screen, right? So if I worked for a company that is interested in AR and wants to get, let's say, a HoloLens 2, um, I'm going to have to put down 3500 for the device. Do I have to buy any particular other hardware or licenses to develop on it or to use it? No. I mean, all the, all the developer stuff is, well, it's Microsoft, so it's all Microsoft stack. So uh, it's all, I mean, HoloLens runs on Windows 10. So it's basically Windows 10 app development. Right. It's it's nothing nothing special really. I mean it's it, you have to use Unity, for example, oh, yeah. to create I mean 3D content and stuff. But it at the end is being compiled to a Windows 10 application, right? So you use Visual Studio at some point, you know, to to, to compile and, and deploy the application, and you create up up packages like for any UWP application for Windows 10. Also, well, it depends. Uh, I I haven't dived into the other path because well with Holland's too we, we we got other path of development meaning that instead of Unity we can use Android Engine for for creating applications. Uh, I'm not an expert here. I know it it's gonna be enabled, but I haven't done anything with Android Engine four, so uh, so I don't know what's the path here, uh, but. Unreal Engine 4 is also enabled for uh, Magic Leap. So Magic Leap has Unity and Unreal Engine 4 support and HoloLens 2, they have this support as well. With HoloLens 1, what we were basically stuck with uh, Unity and that's it. So when you're doing your day-to-day -day development, are you in Visual Studio? Unity, most of the you, time. Okay, so that's its own ID? Yeah, yeah it's its own ID, yeah. Yeah, it's sure. for free for personal use and for the project up until some revenue with the company or something like that. Okay, so then you may Absolutely. potentially have a license fee for yeah, Unity. But, but, but as a starter, you I don't think you have to pay for anything. I mean, instead of the headset. And then but does it come with a, does it come with a toolkit that makes it very easy to you know I don't know put weather information, news information, something on your AR, or is it, you know, is it heavy, heavy programming where you're dealing with, um, I don't know, the, the microcircuitry? Yeah, okay, so so the toolkit is there, actually. So there is a, an open source library out there, which is called Mixed Reality Toolkit, which makes it very easy to jumpstart any project. So with any project I'm starting, actually, it's like, first thing is I'm installing the toolkit, and I'm using all the functions with the toolkit, from the toolkit, because, well, this is um, an ongoing project with a very vibrant community and very responsive, and it's heavy developed right now. So the other thing, it's fairly easy to make contributions there as well, because it's all kind of fresh and shaping up so that you can, you know, you have this community, wonderful community where you can share your ideas or, you know, just tell what you like or don't like. And you can well help creating the future for developers as well. But yeah, there is a there is a toolkit and it makes makes it easier. Without this toolkit, 
without this toolkit, you would have to uh, basically develop in Unity scripting API, which is not that bad, to be honest. It's not like heavy C++ hardcore game programming, but you can do that if you like. So, well, but at the end of the day, basically, what was the hardest for me being um, a regular kind of enterprise developer before I joined the AR bandwagon um, was that basically Holland's development or mixed reality development is a game development, which is kind of a totally different development thing than whatever you do with enterprise crowd applications or whatnot, right? So this is the, the, the kind of a paradigm shift you have to make. You have to start thinking about applications in terms of like you would be creating a game, you know, you have physics sometimes, right? You have game loop, you have events. It's, it's, it's a slightly different paradigm of programming is all. Yeah, but it's all C-sharp and object-oriented programming at the end of the day. Yeah, Still. It's nice and familiar for people. Yeah. Any final notes before we wrap up for the morning, Rafael? Well, well, yeah. To to wrap it up, I think the time is now to start developing, to start thinking about developing their applications. We as developers, we have a great power here to to shape up this 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 future, how we interact with computers and with you know all the digital data. Uh, it's going to happen sooner or later that yeah this there will be a paradigm shift with how we interact and as uh, device vendors say they still have lots of work to make those devices more comfortable or more powerful i think with what we have right now it's possible to create helpful stuff earn money for a living and have fun. And to do that, you don't have to actually buy all those fancy headsets that are expensive. You can start all the development with your phones. Well, probably everyone has at least decent smartphone right now, Android or iPhone. With their advancements, uh, with AR technology, they basically use only a camera in the phones and all the computing power in, the, in their chipset to deliver, to help you deliver AR uh, applications and content. So you can start with Android or iPhone phone and with Unity and AR Kit, AR Core or whatnot to start bringing AR to living, right? And then, well, if you have funding or you, you can find a client or your boss uh, and convince them that HoloLens is the way to go, then yeah, just, you know, just order it and Go nuts. I mean, I, I think I think the future is there. I mean, here, you can, you can start doing stuff. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, if is. people want to find more information about you, your website, blog, where do they go? Uh, my website, personal website, is rafek, R-A-F-E-K dot I-O, which doesn't have much, but it has links to my, uh, like, LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. So that's where I usually post most of my stuff that I'm up to. I don't have blog that I update regularly. So yeah. So Twitter is twitter.com slash Rafek R A F E K. That's mostly it. 
and then they could find videos of your presentations at conferences through the, yeah, the if, website. Yeah, if, if you type if you type my name to YouTube, you probably find it. <laughs> All right, Rafa, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, too. Thank you for inviting me. If you like this episode, you might also like episode 43 with Amir Rubin of Paracosm on Augmented Reality, or episode 34 with Trevor Stricker on Indie Games. The opening music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Ghost Dance by Kevin MacLeod from the album Classic Sampler.